We are getting over the hump, and uh, our, our our hearts are in San Francisco. We didn't leave them there. We sent them there. And you know it's a good thing going when Delta says to the flying public, we're going to need a bigger boat. Right. Right? Trade it in for the big one. Yeah. Delta both adding flights and adding bigger planes out of Detroit to San Francisco route to accommodate Lions fans that are going, in some cases, just to go. Uh, and be there, and others that are going to be attending the game. And once again, we did break the decibel record. Yes, uh, inside Ford Field. In fi- inside Ford Field. They made that official yesterday. I've done that before. As a Steelers fan, we went to Florida, and we were going to get tickets for the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. whatever year that was, and we didn't. And it was still fun because there were Steelers fans everywhere. Just the atmosphere. Yeah, great, just to be there it's is the party. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's for those that don't have tickets to Michigan games, but still go to tailgate. It's mm-hmm. it's it's the same thing, and the flights are a little more reasonable than than the ones uh, going go uh, to, to the uh, national championship. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so that's good. Yeah, then the flights to Houston, for instance, which sure. was that was a nightmare for a lot of Michigan fans. By the right. way, speaking of Michigan fans. If well, what's the over under that uh, Jim Harbaugh is gone? I think he's gone, yeah. you guys. Uh, Mike Garofalo of NFL Media says the Chargers and Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh are quote in striking distance of getting a deal done. Harbaugh wanted this job last year; it wasn't open. He's currently interviewing for a second time, so he's met with them twice. Uh, a source tells Pro Football Talk that Harbaugh wants this job. There are reports that his wife is out there with him, which would indicate maybe they're looking at a lifestyle change, maybe looking at houses. houses yeah. Um, you know, there are other guys in the mix here. Former Titans coach Mike Vrabel has been tied to this. Maybe Pete Carroll wants this job. And the Chargers don't have a general manager either. So are they going to hire the coach first, then the general manager? We'll wait and see in that. As we all know, Harbaugh has ties to California. He played for the Chargers when they were in San Diego. He was the Raiders quarterback's coach. He went to, he played, no, he coached at Stanford and he coached with the 49ers. So there are right. all these ties that this could be it for him. Yeah. And him asking for that clause in the contract at Michigan that he can't be fired for cause just seems like it's all pointing toward the NFL. Right. Making it almost untenable for University of Michigan to make mm-hmm. an offer that he could agree to. 11 million bucks, though, is what's on the table. 11 coming, and a half. Yeah. Per uh, year. So, yeah, the Chargers matching that? I don't think it's really about money. I think it's he got to the mountaintop of college football, and he wants the mountaintop of the NFL, yeah. which is a Super Bowl. Because he's going to get paid a crap load of money. He's not. He won't be in the soup line anytime soon. So True, right. but you're master of your own destiny. You're beloved. You are, if you consider yourself a Michigan man, you're gonna, you could potentially be one of the most heralded coaches of all time. You can be, you know, you're already got on the Mount Rushmore with Bo, perhaps, where you could even cement that sure, larger. Yeah. But also um, these, whatever these sanctions coming from the NCAA, he may not want to deal with. Perhaps. Uh, meantime, the mayor of the city of Detroit, who, you know, doesn't, he doesn't get whipped up about much. Mike Duggan doesn't react no. to a lot of stuff. He just he has keeps, the facts. Exactly. He just keeps <laughs> plowing ahead. But uh, he certainly laid it down about Stephen A. Smith yesterday and what uh, Smith said on uh, on the uh, on his first take show yesterday, or excuse me, Monday, uh, basically that uh, Detroit's a desert town, that uh, we're Respirator City. And he did it, I think, do you think he was, he was trying to be complimentary, right? This is so great for this town. They got the greatest fan base. Um, but he seemed to insinuate that Detroit's comeback is beginning now with yes. the Lions' success. 
totally ignoring that we've been on the upswing since exiting bankruptcy mm-hmm. more than 10 years ago. That's right. The rudest part of it is him saying, I don't know how people are making money. That is the part. Excuse me. <laughs> um, we, you, I got to tell you, Stephen A., if you want to look around, we don't have smash and grab robberies here the way they have no. in San Francisco nope. or in New York or Chicago. Um, you Homicides know, are down. Yeah, that's right. Our, and our home values are up. Our community is really tight with our police force. And, you know, they work really close together. And we're going to hear the facts from Mike Duggan in just a few minutes at 619. We're going to have the, the interview that we uh, talked we talked with him yesterday. And he lays out what the property values are. Right. And which shows that, yeah, folks are working. We're, we're doing just okay, Stephen A. Um, but uh, Mayor Duggan tweeted. Yes. Mayor Duggan tweeted, a respirator? Desert town? Must be someone who doesn't know the facts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, and then he uh, has a link to the Detroit Free Press story by Darren Nichols, the opinion yes. piece that Darren wrote, which was uh, both heartfelt, classy, yeah. invited Stephen A. He said, hey, you know, we want to show you that, the, you know, the ruined porn that you're kind of uh, referencing there right. no longer exists. We still have our problems, God knows, and we yes. need to do a better job in many neighborhoods, but it, it, we're not the basket case or desert city. No. No, and the run. NFL would not have picked this place for the draft if they thought those things. There's so no get bi- your facts straight, Stephen. Yeah. Um, the first primary, voters have spoken for the first time, and uh, Donald Trump wins an 11-point win over Nikki Haley. Uh, 54% of the vote to her 43%. I got to tell you, I, I don't see a path for her. There is no friendlier confines for a candidate that draws independence than New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. She's got problems in her own state. She's not going to take any delegates out of Nevada. Um, nevertheless, she is uh, moving on. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it. And I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. Here's the problem. She did very well with the base. uh, He did very well with the base. Mm -hmm. He does very well with drawing endorsements. He's got 28 senators endorsing him. She's got none. The donor class apparently is willing to bankroll her for a couple more weeks but I don't see a path to success for her here. The Wall Street Journal seems to indicate that if they, she really takes it to him, if she attacks him on domestic issues and on what some may perceive as his weakness on support for Ukraine, he would call them globalists, internationalists. Mm-hmm. And But if she goes with him on those things, goes after him big time, that she could possibly draw more support. We'll see. The one thing that she did do, she took 60% of the independent vote. She did very well with those that were persuadable. Of those that waited until the last month to make up their mind, she won them. She shows every vulnerability that he's going to have in the general election. Mm-hmm. That proves that she could win a general against Joe Biden. Right. It would be her point. One other point she makes is that only 200,000 Republicans have voted. There's just a flaw in our system because there are about 80 million Republican voters and 
it's going to be decided after 200,000? Right, exactly. No, no question. And yet, uh, I've got to say, you, you look at Donald Trump's control over the base and the way he has courted them, and it is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and apparently Biden did win the write-in campaign. Mm-hmm. They got enough there, so he... Yeah. Uh, no delegates. Doesn't though, count, but... Save yeah. space there. Yeah. There was a what I think uh, we would agree was a, an ugly moment um, yesterday during his stump speech. Tim Scott's behind him. Vivek Ramaswamy's behind Trump. And um, he says this to Tim Scott. Two great senators, which is hard. I mean, did you ever think that she actually appointed you, Tim? <laughs> and think of it appointed and you're the senator of his state and she endorsed me you must really hate her <laughs> no it's uh, it's a shame it's you must really hate her now tr- tim scott ends up coming up and saying no i really love you but forcing him oh, into that moment makes to not sick. just bend a knee but to bend this is a guy that he doesn't hate anybody i don't think no. he's ever hated anybody in his life no. he's a devout christian man Putting him on the spot that way, because and then he, then he for- just said that though. Right, right, I don't he, hate anybody. He should have said that. Yeah, I don't hate anybody, Mister President. Right, you could just be like, "This is politics. I don't hate anyone." Yeah. I know he Trump comes supporters says, are going to say that we've you. all got Trump derangement syndrome. No, we have. Let's let's be uh, let's be fair. Let's be reasonable. Let's be magnanimous in your win. Yeah, um, you don't put someone like Tim Scott on the spot and say, not only is it not enough for you to endorse me, but I, I don't want you to just bend the knee. I want you to break mm-hmm. your principles for me Yeah, by by professing a hatred for a woman that you owe a lot to. Right. Who puts you where you are. Yeah. yeah. And the graciousness of his speech the other night out the window. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. well, clearly distance. But, you know, let me, I have to tell you this, we're getting a preview because I think she's going to ramp it up. And he's going to ramp it up, too. He even kind of threatened her with an investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Of course, he always qualifies, you know, the Democrats are going to lead an investigation. But then he said later, um, you know, I don't get mad, I get even. Mm-hmm. So uh, despite all that, she's moving on. When we come back, we'll talk to Mike Duggan. The great things happening in Detroit when it comes to an investment in homes. Next on JR Morning. There's nothing worse than having a leaky pipe, a flooded basement, or a hot water tank breakdown in your home or office and not knowing who to call. I've been there, and a company I trust to help is Shelby Mechanical. They were out to my house just a couple weeks ago, diagnosed a few problems, really put our minds at ease. They're coming to do the work next week. We cannot wait. They are a longtime preferred contractor of the Inside Outside Guys and a great family-owned business that has been in the plumbing industry since the 1980s. Shelby Mechanical is truly Metro Detroit's residential and commercial expert in plumbing, sewer, or drain problems for reasonable prices. Right now, you can get a Bradford White Infinity Series tankless water heater installed with zero interest for 12 months. Don't let plumbing, sewer, or drain problems clog up your time. To get same-day or next-day plumbing service, call Shelby Mechanical for your home or office at 586-726-9444. That's 586-726-9444 or visit shelbymechanical.net. That's shelbymechanical.net. For projects big and small, you know who to call. Shelby Mechanical for all your plumbing needs. In a city where revitalization has become a focal point, Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan revealing a remarkable surge in property values. Detroit's homes have experienced a staggering 
threefold increase in value over the past seven years, dubbing it the best investment in America. And joining us on the JR Morning Live line to delve into the factors contributing to this unprecedented surge and its implications for Detroit's future is the mayor, Mayor Mike Duggan. Mr. Mayor, good morning. Hey, good morning, Lloyd. You know, if you're a Detroit homeowner, uh, you couldn't really do better in the stock market with the increase these home values have had in the past seven years. Well, especially uh, with the the Michigan State Constitution capping your taxes going up. So for Detroiters last year, their average property value went up 27%, but your property taxes only went up 5%. And that's the second year in a row uh, that we've seen uh, a huge increase in the property values and a much smaller increase in the taxes. But there have been a lot of contributing factors, though, too, Mr. Mayor, uh, as to why these uh, home values have gone up, things that have been done in the communities leading up to this. It was fun that we had we had uh, neighbors from four different neighborhoods that 10 years ago would have told you they were forgotten. But when I ran in 2013, I said every neighborhood has a future. And there were people who laughed at that, and people who said you have to write some of these neighborhoods off. But it was really exciting to see some of the uh, uh, lowest income neighborhoods had the most gain because uh, you're talking about, in one year, $1.7 billion of wealth that was added to Detroit homeowners, because, of course, most of our homeowners uh, have their uh, primary uh, uh, asset is their house. Uh, Mr. Mayor, as they say, Detroit is so hot right now, and I just went to an event with Roger Goodell. The draft is coming. Are you guys ready for this influx of people? Uh, well, we were geared up for the draft. Now we're geared up for the possibility of uh, uh, far more attention sooner than we had hoped. But, and a very uh, low draft you, pick, if that happens. Oh, my God. Well, well, I've been at the draft the last two years, and it was exciting two years ago. We got aid to Hutchinson, and it was uh, exciting last year. Uh, this year it will be exciting for a whole different reason. Uh, there's, there's a lot of pride uh, across the country. Every place I go, people are cheering for the Lions. You worked really hard to get the Fords to bring that football stadium downtown many years ago, and I covered it then. Can you imagine now, as closely identified as this team is with Detroit and grit and the spirit of Detroit, if we didn't have those stadiums downtown? Well, I, you know, somebody might want to pull out the clips from 30 years ago. There's a much younger version of me on that. <laughs> uh, but, you're, but you're right. I, I chaired the stadium authority that built Ford Field and Comerica Park and, and put the, the deal together with the Ford family. I never thought the Lions should have been playing in Pontiac. Uh, but uh, on Sunday, uh, my wife and I went from the Lions game over to the Red Wings game. Uh, and just to see the crowds in the street, happy, cheering, uh, celebrating, uh, it, it's completely different having uh, all the sports yeah. teams downtown. Right, and you wouldn't have had this narrative of the Lions representing the city the way they are. I've got to ask you about, you mentioned the fact that the property values are increasing, and it's great that it's happening across the board with neighborhoods. But for the most part, those that are experiencing these property value gains, are they absentee owners or are they owner occupied homes and what are we doing to make sure that we have more of those than the other well it's, it's slightly more uh, owner occupied than landlord uh and you know this just this last fall the banks of the city got together and did a down payment assistance plan uh where we put up to twenty five thousand dollars of your 
down payment. You have to have been a renter in the city of Detroit for at least a year, and there's certain income levels. But we had 300 people uh, who were longtime Detroit renters, people paying 1000 or $1,200 a month in rent, right. who should be able to own their own house. They've got the credit score. They just didn't have the down payment. It was so successful. We're sitting down with the banks again, uh, and we're going to do it again. The state of Michigan used to have a film incentive program, and movies like Transformers and Batman versus Superman were filmed here. That program offered rebates up to 42% of filmmakers' in-state production costs, but that all went away in 2015 during the Rick Snyder administration, citing the return on investment for taxpayers was minimal. Now a group of Michigan lawmakers is working to bring back incentives in a different form. Here to talk about it is David Haddad, chair of the Michigan Film Industry Association. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How is this plan different? And just by your good morning, it seems like you're excited about it. (laughs) Well, we're very excited about it. It's been a seven-year journey, and we sat down, uh, those of us in the industry, and it seemed, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't use the word silly, that there were 40 other states and cities, 41 now in the United States, uh, that have a program. (laughs) So uh, the learning curve that took place, you mentioned the Rick Snyder in your opening uh, got passed on to other states, and then we sat and burned down the bill, our group of volunteers, and we rebuilt it, and we cherry-picked uh, what other states are doing that we thought worked. And it's a very tight, well-organized, thoughtful, I call it a responsible bill. We're excited about the opportunity we're being seen. It's bipartisan, uh, which, you know, is a, is a big deal in Michigan. And ask away, what questions do you have for me? Well, uh, David, one of the questions I have is what specific advantages does Michigan offer as a location for film and TV and commercial production? Well, it's a fresh look. You know, our competitors that are nearby, uh, Ohio and Illinois, so um, Ohio's program is sold out every year. Illinois has an uncapped. You know, our program has caps. That's why we think it's responsible. Uh, We have uh, the location. No one will shoot uh, in anywhere in the United States or Canada or the U.K. or Australia without uh, a film program. So the Multimedia Job Act was put together with, uh, for example, for labor, instead of having us give a full rebate, uh, excuse me, poor choice of words, a full incentive against salaries. It's 20% for out-of-state and 30% in-state. None of the other programs have that. Because we want the money to be uh, spent as much money as possible in Michigan for a higher ROI, so then, that's, that's one advantage. Well, then why offer for out-of-state salaries at all? I mean, I, I remember during the last go-around with his David when Matt Prentice, the late great restaurateur in, in town who had a huge catering business, watched as out-of-state caterers were being brought in. He goes, well, "Look, I understand you got to bring some out-of-state talent in because maybe we don't have the." the skills network here that we need. But honestly, caterers, because we got plenty of those here, how will we make sure and document that people are hiring from here and that we're not paying the the, this, the salaries of out-of-state vendors? Uh, yeah. You know, that's a great question. So whenever the production companies make their movie, manufacture their movie in Michigan, they don't want to bring people from out of town. When they bring people from out of town, they have to house them in per diem. So it's thirteen to $1,500 a week. The only reason they would bring in any person or company from out of town 
is because they couldn't buy it locally. So, for example, movie catering, which is brought up frequently, movie catering isn't like going to a restaurant. Those people started work at 1 a.m. to serve at 5 a.m. and then that's for breakfast and then they serve dinner. And those people working on the crew work 18 hours a day. There's a specific um, niche in movie catering as opposed to catering for a party or, or a venue. So um, it would take two or three years for someone locally to invest money to buy the specific catering trucks that are used and, and to grow into that. But there are, you know, in the state case of Georgia, I think they have like 18 different catering vendors now that grew into the business. It's the, it's the normal formula. Someone has a catering business and they have people working for them and then they break off and then they buy their own catering truck. And But that is the same through everything. Anything locally, they don't want to hire local crew. And you'll hear them say frequently, we want to put the money on the screen. Uh, we don't want to put the money um, in out-of-state pockets, anywhere. They want everything goes to the screen. So, for example, when if when this Multimedia Job Act passes, as we hope, uh, in the beginning we won't have caterers and we won't have an in-depth crew and we won't have the infrastructure that needed. So with the incentive, uh, over a period of time, three years or so, or four years, all these little infrastructures will develop movie crews People that learn their their craft in Michigan who have moved to uh, Georgia and other states to follow the work uh, will come home because of the quality life of Michigan. You know, it's an industry that, for it to thrive anywhere in the in the world, I'm not limiting it to the United States. There has to be some sort of incentive program because that's just the way it is. If you don't have an incentive program, you don't have work, Meaning, meaningful work, work where people can have a career, be gainfully employed and buy a house and a car and send their kids to college and buy braces and that kind of thing. <laughs> There's this big push to keep young people in our state and bring young people to our state. And I was reading some of these articles about this. One of the lawmakers who co-signs daughter is studying film at one of our universities here in the state, and he wants her to stay here and work. Yeah, uh, that would be uh, uh, House Member Roth, a co-sponsor. Uh, and you're correct. It, it, that is a classic example uh, in the state of Michigan. Anyone in the film industry, whether it's tech-related or not, uh, has to go out of state. You know, a lot of times when when people say, you know, I want to work, I want to work at home, it just kind of oversimplifies. You know, as parents, I have three kids. You know, I I want my kids to work in the state. I want to I want them to see me grow old. I want to see. Um, if they choose to have a family, I want to enjoy and grasp life for the short time we have. So this program will allow uh, to monetize the money spent in the universities to allow the the, uh, the uh, young people graduating to stay in the state and develop their career and their craft. David, I'm wondering, you know, the incentives are one thing that, you know, bring uh, filmmakers here to make a movie. But I'm wondering how many people, once they get here and make the movie and they see other parts of the city, that they say, man, maybe I can do something here. Or maybe let me tell this person about this part of, of Michigan that I saw that may be good for their movie. Yeah. Yeah. One 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 leads to the other. Um, if 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 and we hope this goes through, we believe the program will be sold out. Uh, quickly, uh, for all the reasons you just spoke, uh, the industry itself, as you know, went with a downturn for uh, six months, seven months. It was all publicized. Uh, they're on their way back, and they're looking for uh, a fresh look. 
So, David don't, Drake, you know, don't devalue like the Michigan experience is is amazing. Oh yeah, one of the reasons uh, that I'm involved, as is all the other volunteers, is uh, we we take pride and we see uh, the jewel that Michigan Michigan is, and it's not just the physical state and the look, which is quite unique with various different looks. It's the quality and the caliber and the work ethic of Michiganders is what is what you need in the film. People say, like, oh, I want to have my kid work in a film. And I'll say, well, can they work a 14-hour day? Well, what do you mean? <laughs> well, we work 14-hour days. It's just not for everybody. Right. Uh, it's it, David, very quickly, very quickly, please. How many films might we land if this passes? What's a reasonable expectation, understanding that there are 40 other states offering up incentives, too? I think that we, based on my experience, we would have 12 to 16 meaningful uh, jobs. Uh, the way the the way the incentive is crafted, it's it's for smaller jobs. Projects. 40, 40 million, 20. We're okay. not going to get any $100 million films. Okay. All right. Well, the bills are currently in the Senate and House committees awaiting a hearing, and we will certainly keep an eye on this. Uh, David Haddad, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Everyone tune in to mifia.org for follow-up. <laughs> Fountain Blue Las Vegas, the newest luxury resort and casino on the Strip. And they, uh, we want to send you there for the big game weekend. If you score a trip for two to Las Vegas, that includes airfare, a two-night stay at the Fountain Blue Las Vegas, $150 credit to spend at one of the 36 restaurants and bars, and two tickets to the Fountain Blue Las Vegas big game viewing party at Blue Live, Blue Live Theater. <laughs> Apparently, I'm not very good on the... I sound like Inspector Clouseau. <laughs> to enter, text this hour's national keyword. It is big. The keyword is big. Text that to 95819, and you will be registered to win. For full details and other official contest rules, visit WJR.com. <coughs> Excuse me. We have watched as Hootie Rebels have become increasingly aggressive in their attacks on U.S. military bases in and around the Middle East. The Biden administration, along with the U.K., has begun ramping up those attacks. Are they having any effect? Mike Rogers is the former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and also a Michigan candidate for U.S. Senate. Joining us live this morning, Mike, good morning. Good morning. How are you all doing today? Great. It was great to see you the other night. Um, yeah, I, so... Why is it that it seems that we have not degraded the Houthi capabilities here? Why is it that they are seemingly undiscouraged by our retaliation? Well, remember, they're only uh, retaliating against the, the units, the small units that are launching the missile itself. So they haven't done, they haven't expanded to any of their logistics operations, how you get missiles uh, to the launch pad, people who are servicing the launch pad, all of that uh, infrastructure still exists. So you're taking out a launcher. I'm telling you, their Iran, uh, you know, the, uh, in Tehran, is uh, sending more equipment uh, that they can launch more missiles. So unless they have a more robust disruption kind of activity versus a retaliatory uh, kind of an attitude, you're, you're going to continue to see this. 
And, you know, every press conference it drives me nuts. They tell you what they're not going to do, the Biden administration. My argument is they just should say we're going to degrade their capability to do what they're doing. We'll be back in a moment. Uh, they're just not doing that. They're just doing these one off and it's just not being impactful. Uh, Mike, I asked Guy this question yesterday. Why does it seem like it's just the U.S. and British militaries carrying out these attacks when the shipping lanes matter to the entire world, all the countries? Uh, true enough. Some of it is about capability. And so the Netherlands are involved. There are some German logistics things going on. They're involved. Uh, but for the precision type activity that you need to have in, in these kinds of things, the two navies that are best suited for that, candidly, are the Brits. Uh, us. The Canadians could do it. They're, don't, they don't have as big a presence in that area of the world. Uh, but you're right. Everybody should be stepping up to this. This is going to slow down the world's economy. Um, and, you know, we're going to have to get back to putting Iran back in a box uh, the way they, they, we did just a few years ago, cut off their oil money. Uh, you know, nothing good has happened since we allowed them to sell oil in the open market, billions of dollars of cash poured in. And we saw that money go to the Houthis and the and Hamas and Hezbollah and the Badr brigades in Iraq. All of them got well, well financed. And that is what's causing our problems. Uh, are, are there diplomatic efforts being pursued also like alongside the military actions to address the root causes of this conflict? Well, that's a really good question. I haven't seen. I know that they send our Secretary of State, the Biden administration sends our Secretary of State with hat in hand. It doesn't seem to have been working. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I always feel that the best diplomacy is when you have the 7th Fleet over one shoulder and the 101st Airborne over the other saying, let's talk. Uh, that's the best way to get this thing settled down is, again, you have to have that international community go together on this reinstate the sanctions on missile programs in Iran, make sure they can't sell oil, really start ratcheting it down. You have to take away their ability to fund these things. Uh, And and, and the Houthis is a great example. We have other people who wanted to participate. The Biden administration wouldn't let the Saudis do it. I think that was a big mistake. And now you have this kind of unwilly force on the Saudi border firing missiles at us and and uh, and the Israelis, I mean, there's coalitions yeah. you can put back together and say, you're going to have to do some heavy lifting here with us. Mike, how on earth did we get here? This is a ragtag bunch of unsophisticated uh, militia members who now are certainly much more sophisticated, much more well-armed. On whose watch was this allowed to happen? Uh, or has this been happening over a decade now that they have been organizing and gaining strength with the help of Iran? So when I was intelligence chairman up to 2015, uh, the Houthis were more of that ragtag separatist group uh, that we saw just about that time increases in their receiving help from Iran. So Iran was giving them training and finance and other things. And so if you recall, there was a lot of pressure put on Iran right after that, uh, and they just didn't have the money to give them. They were still there. They were still trying to do what they were doing. Uh, the Houthis would get a missile and fire it into Saudi Arabia. The Saudis were supported by the United States trying to deal and degrade with the, the uh, Houthi rebels on their border. Um, and then when you rip that, all of those protections off, um, it's just like pouring gasoline on it. So the Biden administration did two really, I think, really 
dangerous decisions. Remember, these these, these decisions have consequences. They took off that that any uh, hindrance that Houthis had to get better training, weapons, financing, intelligence, other things that Iran wanted to give them. Uh, they allowed Iran to give money, so that money just poured in there with weapons and, as I said, training and all of that. They stopped the Saudis from being able to degrade the Houthis. Uh, it, you know, this just happened the first week he was in office. And guess what? Over the last few years, now you get a, a pretty well-trained, uh, you know, pretty sophisticated, well-armed uh, Houthi units. But here's the thing. Hezbollah has been going through the same kind of uh, change in their operational capability, which means they got better. The Badr brigades in Iraq, which have been attacking U.S. troops in Iraq, all of that has happened in the last three years because they have cash, candidly, and an attitude. You know, the Iran is basically saying, I think the United States is weak. This is our time. Uh, Mike, less than a minute, but there's talk of a new threat, sort of Pakistan making threats, and why? why is that scary? Well, Pakistan has nuclear weapons. They certainly don't have the controls on their nuclear weapons that the United States does, or even Russia, candidly, or China. Um, and that skirmish uh, could get could get dicey, mainly because you have such a large Sunni population in Pakistan, and you have the Shia population in Iran. And if this gets to a sec, you know, a kind of a religious difference of opinion. That's when things get a little dicey in the, across the Middle East and South Asia, like where Pakistan is, and so that that is why people are very very concerned about an escalation. And you know, Iran has been very very good about allowing groups that hate everybody, right. no matter what their sect is, hide in Iran. That's what that's what started that whole thing with Pakistan. Deep concern about a widening escalation. Mike Rogers, thank you so much. Are those Jim Harbaugh's chickens headed off to California? What is this song? <laughs> I, I think they're they're lining up for their tickets to L.A. There you go. What in the world? Uh, they're saying, they're saying, have you seen what they're offering for our eggs out in Charger Land? <laughs> well, oh, you want to talk about? Yeah, Jim we Harbaugh? can talk about that. I mean, it sounds like it's all done except for the putting some financial ink on the paper. It sure seems that way. If you're out there with your wife, per reports, if you're out there for a second interview, per reports, you know, Mike Garofalo of NFL Media saying Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers are in striking distance. Uh, Pro Football Talk is saying Harbaugh wants this job. You know, and he has all these ties to California. He played for the Chargers when they were in San Diego. He coached at Stanford. He coached with the Oakland Raiders. And it just seems like what he's asking for from Michigan is not going to happen. And it it may seem like he's ready to move on to the NFL. He's at the mountaintop of college football. He did what he said he would do. It just, to me, seems like he's on his way out. Yeah. Why not stay on top of the mountain, though? Life is. I don't know. Life, People like love to be you. pretty good up there. Yeah. Yeah. But he maybe he doesn't want to deal but with. Think about who left for the NFL too. Yeah. So yeah. he doesn't want to deal with the NCAA. Stuff I mean, player wise, Mr. Roddy. One of the best kept secrets in sports is how much NFL head coaches get paid. It is yeah. absurd. I mean, I think Bill <laughs> Belichick was bringing in like thirty million dollars in New England, and and we we because we hear about the college coaches and how much they make. Right. It's, yeah. It's public record, and NFL coaches we don't really know what they make. It is a lot of money, and I think Jim Harbaugh would do well better than the $11.5 million. I don't think it's about the money. He wants that NFL Super Bowl. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
So he I don't think he's taking it. Uh, I don't think he's taking a pay cut to go. Well, to well let's be clear no. about the, the program that he is going to. If he's going to the Chargers, these folks are on the. the they've got a good nucleus Young of talent there. Yeah, sort of gunslinger, and they, they just can't seem to get out of their own way. A coach could make a huge impact there. Um, in changing, and he's talk about changing he can change culture. something quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah at at um, Stanford and 49ers. So I just think he's gone. Well, we will uh, will await that decision. Uh, meantime, uh, lots of folks headed off to San Francisco. Um, Delta is adding flights. They're adding larger planes. And uh, boy, go and have fun. Meantime, closer to home here in Oakland County Circuit Court, it appears we are getting closer. Today should be the day that we see the jury in the Jennifer Crumbly case. Yeah, jury selection began yesterday for Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of the convicted Oxford High School shooter. The courtroom barred cameras during the process as she and her husband, James Crumbly, become the first parents charged in connection with a school shooting facing four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Jennifer is accused of not doing enough to prevent her son's actions. The historic case draws national attention with prosecutors aiming to prove her awareness of her son's access to the gun and alleged negligence in the care. The slow-paced jury selection involved 325 potential jurors in Oakland County Court. Some were dismissed due to pre-existing commitments. The defense contends Jennifer didn't know her son's plans, while prosecutors claim the parents purchased the gun and ignored warning signs. The defense wants her son, the shooter, to testify, emphasizing his plea for mental help, asserting he spoke to professionals, not his parents. The judge anticipates seating the jury by the end of the day. Attorney Ben Johnson, who represents many of the victim's family, says the crumbly parents must be held accountable for their failure to act. Those parents sat in that room with the administrators and didn't tell them about the gun, didn't tell them about all the problems that this kid was having at home. Do your clients feel this is a form of justice? They do. And we thank NBC for that tape. Jennifer's husband, James, faces charges as well. His trial gets underway March 5th. I think Ben speaks for a lot of parents other than those of the Oxford victims just saying, how the heck could you not say in that moment when you saw that artwork and the gun that Mm -hmm. looked just like the gun you had bought that child that you didn't say, hey, we should check his bag Mm -hmm. or we need to make sure that the gun's secure at home. And never have the parents said anything like that. No, like, no. oh, my gosh, we were right there. Uh, until they heard uh, shots shot. were fired. And then they sent the text school, messages and things. Saying, right. please don't. Yeah, yeah it's Todd's a little late for that. Really stuck with me. Every other parent raced to the school when they heard this was happening. These two raced home to see if the gun was still there. Yeah, which is what they should have done hours before, earlier. Um, meantime, uh, a defeat for Nikki Haley, but it was a good night in in terms of she's taken her support from 2% at the beginning of this race to now 44%. It was an 11-point loss to former President Donald Trump. Um, there certainly is a class of donors that will continue bankrolling her, but when you look at the base, when you look at the political class that are endorsing Donald Trump, there is an increasing drumbeat for her to drop out at some point she may see retribution from going forward among those encouraging her to perhaps drop out Ronna Romney McDaniel, the chair of the RNC. I'm looking at the math and the path going forward, and I don't see it for Nikki Haley. I think she's run a great campaign, but I do think there is a message that's coming out from the voters, which is very clear. We need to unite around our eventual nominee, which is going to be Donald Trump. And that's the real question now for Nikki Haley. She could move forward. She could ramp up 
uh, a much more uh, aggressive attacks against Donald Trump, and perhaps there might be a path that way. But are you, if you fail then, completely killing your chances for 2028? And if you lose in your own state, you know, how does that look, too? It, it's no question about it. That that's going to be difficult. And now, um, you know, both senators in South Carolina are aligned with Donald Trump. Those endorsements are beginning to mount up. John Cornyn of Texas joining yesterday. So a lot of the power brokers falling into line behind Donald Trump. His grip on the party is uh, even uh, if, if it's begrudging, you've got to be impressed by it. Um, we'll see what she chooses, but she's got a $4 million ad buy in South Carolina. She's going to have a, a rally there uh, today. Time for WJR Business Beat. Let's check in with Jeff Sloan, uh, the CEO and founder of Startup Nation, brought to you by Shelving.com. We rack your world. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Guy, Lloyd, and Jamie. Businesses are always looking for ways to engage members of various target demographics to which their product or service could appeal. But the tricky part is that each demographic population has unique qualities, perspective, tastes, and purchase drivers that require an understanding in order to succeed at marketing and selling to any given group. As just reported in Ad Age, one of the hottest new targets for many is Gen Alpha, tweens, if you will. This is a young demographic population, despite their young age, that has amazing buying power. Gen Alpha consumers are generally those born beginning in 2010, with the oldest members being only 14 years old today. And they've arrived on the radar screens of marketers everywhere due to their emergence as a cohort more brand aware and brand savvy than previous generations. A 2023 report from digital agency Razorfish found that access to the Internet has accelerated Alpha's brand maturity at a higher rate than previous generations. Now, Alphas are expected to command a massive spending power that could outpace previous generations as the cohort gets older. In 2029, Alpha's collective global economic footprint is forecast to exceed $5.46 trillion, according to an agency known as McCrindle, based in Australia. Now, the list of brands that appeal to Alphas by way of example, of course, Apple, TikTok, Squishmallows, and American Girl, to name a few, along with, of course, Barbie, largely as a result of the Barbie movie recently out. Now, if this is a demographic that you feel you should be reaching to expand your market, focus on publishing organic and paid content on platforms like TikTok, Snapchat, and Instagram, and in particular, focus on YouTube, which is the most popular social media platform for Gen Alpha. Razorfish found that some 51% of Alpha's brand awareness is driven by YouTube. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com the source for everything you need to start and grow your own business. And that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. Perhaps the biggest question as she steps to the podium tonight for her sixth state of the state message is how many times will Governor Whitmer reference the Detroit Lions? How many times will she try to hook her star to, uh, to to the Lions as they you know, head into these uncharted waters of unfathomable success. No, you you got to, you have to, you gotta you gotta bring it up. Yeah, never underestimate a politician's no. uh, they capacity. They all do it. Yes, they you were. know, and the governors of each state, like you know, do bets and stuff. They all do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it will be funny. Now, she apparently, uh, Craig Mauger tweeting this out yesterday, is encouraging members of the 
legislature to wear Honolulu blue or some blue to show their support for the line. Well, at least he's not asking them to dye their hair. No, that, well. A la Amon Ross St. Brown. Yes. <laughs> a lot well, of people I've, are starting to do that. That's a thing, it's, too. It's Honolulu blue and silver, and, buddy, I got the silver <laughs> covered. So that's... Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's it will be interesting to see, you know, because you can kind of cross a line there. It's like every rock star coming out and you're like, hey, there Detroit, how about the blinds? You know, uh, it, you could you can yeah. you could look like you're pandering at some point. And listen, but it's unifying. There's no other NFL team. True. So it's right. not like. Well, can... wait a minute now. Uh, up in the Upper Peninsula. Them's Packers fans up there. So she's kind of putting the UP lawmakers on notice that they may have to. Uh, well, those are the Green Bay Packers people. Yes. That's another state. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, sometimes the folks in the UP think of themselves a little, you know, their allegiance is a little divided. But I doubt there. she would. I, I doubt the governor will say that the city of Detroit just came alive because of the. She's not going to go Stephen A. She's not going to do Stephen A. Yeah. Well, we're going to get a firsthand look at the state of the state. We're going up there, and we'll be there tomorrow yes, to this, talk about it. This traveling band of news nerds are headed to Lansing this <laughs> afternoon. The newsies. The newsies. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll, be, uh, we'll be up there late. To th- and, then we'll be, and, and along with Marie Osborne, we'll be covering the uh, state of the state live this evening at 7 p.m. We'll have the Republican response afterwards, then be giving some analysis. Um, there are a lot of familiar themes that we're going to see. She has called for universal pre-K uh, for many of her state-of-the-state messages. And she will do that again. She wants to see free preschool for all Michigan four-year-olds. And she's working this, you know, this idea we, we get focused on K through 12. And I think wisely she said, no, we need to broaden that lens. It needs to be pre-K through the next two years, through 14 years of education. So we're going to also hear a lot of proposals for free community college. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's all well and good. She says they will be game changers. Well, that implies that people will take advantage. And what we have seen again and again, you can build it, you can even make it free. It doesn't mean that people will necessarily come. Um, We expanded the eligibility for free community college by 350,000 people. You know how many people signed up? About 2,000. Yeah. We went for out 20. of those eligible. That's only two. That's a 2.5% take rate. So yeah. it. And that was because we lowered the age. Exactly. From 25 to 21. And um, for we. This program. Yeah. So, you know, just we. You kind of have to measure as she's creating expectations and. And today, and, and I, I think that this is in the right place, but you have to ask in terms of the return on that investment, uh, how much do we put into it? Because, or maybe we should be doing some other things to encourage people on the value of those extra two years mm-hmm. of education. Because there's a gap there. And we saw that when we were up in Mackinac. Right. I think also she should address getting things done with the way that the legislature is right now. Absolutely. And uh, how, you know, these are grand ideas that we're going to hear tonight, but how are you going to actually pass them? Well, and we need to hear from Republicans. Okay, fine. You have a divided house. You can be uh, the party of no. Also talk to me, and we'll be asking uh, Republicans when we talk to them tomorrow morning, because we'll be broadcasting live from Lansing uh, tomorrow morning at this time, is what can you sign up for? While we've had a divided house of the next... We probably won't see anything um, reconciled there until late April. Late April, yeah. We've got two House seats mm-hmm. that are going to go through special mm-hmm. elections. 
what what can you be working on? What can you work together on with the speaker? And we'll talk to Matt Hall about that. I'm sure he's got some good ideas. He's going to be having a one uh, a one o'clock media briefing this afternoon that we'll be listening in on where they're going to set out their legislative priorities for the year ahead. And let's be clear. They have always uh, said we are more interested in broad tax relief always. rather than targeted tax relief, which in their minds all too often are for the the favorite special interests of the Democrat Party. It's going to be labor unions and seniors because that's fertile ground for, quote, unquote, buying votes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. By the way, an interesting uh, thing out of Axios, uh, this has been – supposedly a banner year for labor unions. When you look at the uh, what the, the concessions that the Teamsters won from UPS, which mm-hmm. Sean Fain got for the UAW, um, actors and writers in Hollywood getting some pretty lucrative deals and protections, you would think that the labor movement was in tall cotton. The fact is, based on Bureau of Labor Statistics released yesterday, we have never seen the share of American workers who are members of a union lower. It hit a record low in 2023. Just one in 10 workers are members of labor unions. Now, maybe that will change well, with the, the, the success that we've saw over the past year. Sean Fain wants He's it to working change. He's working toward Tesla. They're, yeah. they're, wor- they're working on all of that. But yeah. in, in the meantime, and they did see a slight uptick in the number of workers, but because the labor force expanded so much, um, the share of workers that are in unionized households never been lower. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to a man who has coached the Lions and the Niners. Detroit geared up, ready to go to take on the 49ers for the NFC Championship. And who better to check in with than someone who's seen both organizations from the inside as head coach? Uh, and then going on to view them and analyze them externally with the NFL Network. Steve Mariucci joining us on JR Morning. Good morning, Steve. Good, good, good to have you with us. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you mentioned that, uh, that I was able to coach to both teams, the Lions and the 49ers. And the funny thing is they had to beat teams that I also coached, the Packers and the Rams, and uh, so it's it's been a lot of fun watching these playoffs. Boy, they've been fantastic, and a lot of familiar, familiarity here. But uh, what a season the Lions have had, huh? It's it's been amazing from the outside looking. And what do you think has been the biggest game changer? Oh my God, I think it's just a million little things. Um, I don't know if there's any one player, or one play, or one person. Um, I think it's a culmination that's really of, of Brad Holmes and, and Dan Campbell three years ago uh, getting together and having one vision as to what kind of players that they want to draft and acquire and trade and free agency and choosing the right players, which they certainly have done, and getting them all on the same page with that same grit that Dan Campbell has. And uh, it's it's coming together, and it didn't you know it didn't start fast, right? You know, we're own ten and we're born nineteen, and and ownership was patient and said, all right, let's just give them a chance to do their thing, and and man, it, it uh, it's coming together. It took a year and a half, and all of a sudden it started gelling, and you know you can't give enough credit to Jared Goff. He's from right over here in the Bay Area. Watched him since he was in high school at Marin Catholic, and uh, but all the parts that they have coming together 
and staying relatively healthy, right, for this. And uh, this is, they're reaping the benefits of all that right now. Uh, Steve, I picked a soundbite yesterday of your pal Rich Eisen saying, why not the Lions? This is not a cute story anymore where we're just happy to be there. The Lions are built to win, and they might actually get this done. Do you think they could beat the number one seed? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I won't be easy. I, I uh, fight some training camp. You know, I, I'm pretty close here to the Niners and uh, know the coaches and know all of them very well. And I just felt that their roster was veteran enough and talented enough. They have nine pro bowlers, the most in the league. And, uh, you know, if they're healthy and they play like they're capable of, that they should, you know, play and probably win the Super Bowl. Well, you know, they've, they've uh, had some games where it wasn't quite that, that easy. Um, Debo Samuel has not been ruled in just yet. He's still nursing that shoulder. And the last time he hurt that shoulder, they lost three games in a row. And so, um, you know, Brock Purdy had a tough day at the office against the Packers. He wasn't very good in the rain. It might rain again, guys. I don't know if they're coming out here or not, but it might rain. You know, we don't have a dome. And so um, it, it's going to be one of those games. And I think, the, I think the Lions are built to play in the rain. They got the nasty offensive line. Two-headed monster at running back. They've got a great play-action quarterback, and and uh, boy, Sam Laporta is just you know just exceeding expectations as a young tight end, and and Derek Goff can do this. And so, yeah, this is going to be an even game. Nobody thought the Packers would play with the Niners, and uh, really could have won that game, right? And of course, the Lions split with the Packers. So this is going to be a kind of a toss-up game. Yeah, advantage Niners because they're veteran team been there done that and in fact this is their fourth uh nfc championship game in five years so you know they're all, almost like kansas city just kind of getting to that championship game all the time but yeah you know I, the lions are for real the lions can play with these guys and i think it's going to be one of those uh, those classic playoff games and uh boy i can't wait for it other than the weather vulnerability and the fact that our guys are you know, like us we're Michiganders, right? We don't care about the weather. Um, other than that, where, where would well, you, you see the Niners' the vulnerability? Back there, guy, you, you closed the schools down today because of the weather. What's up with that? The we, rain, we, yeah, yeah, a little bit of freezing rain. You know, we, we yeah. put that on our well, cornflakes in the morning. It's a little icy. I get that. All right. But where is the I come from? It snows up there 10 inches. You know, just get your butt up and shovel and get the car and go to school, you know? So, but, uh, you know, so weather does have a little factor in it. Um, yeah, it's, been, it's raining here again today. It's just been, we need it. We need the rain here in the Bay Area. It just, it doesn't rain for seven months and, and then we need it, you know, to fill up the reservoirs. But um, I think, I think the Lions are built to, to play in the rain offensively, you know. It'll be fun to watch and see if their defense can hold up, you know, against the passing game. Um, a lot of weapons for the Niners, and uh, if Brock Purdy can handle the ball, he seemed to have a little trouble uh, with the wet ball. He started off the game with gloves, took them off, and then he was, he was sailing some high balls here and there. He got a little flustered with the weather. Uh, Steve, can you talk about Dan Campbell and how he's changed culture here and how these players, just everything they say, they just seem to love playing for him, and just the importance of having a guy like that on the sidelines for this Lions team. Yeah. Yeah. He's just done such a great job there. Um, 
A, he starts off getting the right kind of guys. You know, he wants to bring in tough guys, regardless of the position. He wants tough-minded people, gritty, blue-collar, you know, all of that kind of thing. And, and uh, so when he starts getting emotional or biting kneecaps or whatever that is, they can relate. They love it, and they respond to that. And even when they started slow, like I mentioned earlier, there were four nineteen and one, and that they still they still got it, and they still understood where he was headed and and uh, why he did certain things and said certain things. He's such an emotional guy, right? And I think the players love it. I think the fans love it, and uh, it, it's paid dividends because now it's all coming together. And uh, you know, and, and Dan has hired a heck of a staff over there too. I mean, like I said, it's just not one person or thing. It's a, it's a culmination of a lot of people over a couple of years here. Ben Johnson does a heck of a job calling plays, and Aaron Glenn has really improved that. They're a last-ranked defense last year in several categories, and they're much improved. They're not great. They're you know they're probably further along on offense than they are on defense. But Aaron Glenn has done a heck of a job with that bunch, and uh, I think line fans better hope hope and pray they don't lose those coordinators. Because last year, the Philadelphia Eagles got to the big game and then lost both coordinators, and all of a sudden, they don't look the same. So, uh, anyway, uh, we'll see what happens with those two because they're very good coaches. In, in terms of just give some folks perspective about how hard it is to change a culture like that, especially where in Detroit, you know, it's always been, gosh, it just seems like we can't get it together. How do you change that, that mindset that's almost self-defeating? I think it's, you know, winning changes, changes everything, right? And, and uh, so how do you win? Um, you make your team better. You hit on your draft choices. You don't have, a, you don't have very many swings and misses. You bring in some free agents that uh, can set the tone and be somewhat of a leader and, and uh, with, with some good experience. Um, the other thing is I think the fact that, uh, you know, the Packers have been so good. When you look at the last 30 years in that division, the other teams at times have been excellent, really good with the quarterbacking in Green Bay. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the Vikings have had their time in the sun, even the Bears. And then so now is the time where those other teams are might be a little young or might be a little down, and the Lions have caught up in terms of roster. Their roster is as talented as everybody else. And if, you put, and if, you, if you're young and you can keep that bunch together – and, uh, and hang on to that quarterback, and you got a chance uh, win that division again because yeah. this is the time. This is the perfect window to do that. Yeah, and, Stephen, I think uh, free agents are going to want to come here after a season like this as well with Dan Campbell at the helm. Yeah, Jimmy, I think you're right. I, I think, uh, you know, they got in free agency a little bit like recruiting. You know, you don't have all that NIL money, which drives me nuts, but you, you, have, a, you have an environment, a culture like you mentioned, that do I want to play in that sort of environment for that coach? And uh, I think the answer would be yes. And Brad Holmes will, will, will do what Dan Campbell wants in terms of, hey, this is the kind of guy that we need. Uh, this is where we really would love you to spend the money because he could help us get over the top, so to speak. Yeah. Now you're sounding like another Iron Mountain guy we, we talk with every Friday. Uh, Someone as- you know quite well. Yeah, that, that that guy that's always wearing green to the northwest of us there. Uh, Steve Mirzuli, great to, great to uh, reconnect with you. We will be enjoying the game, I know, as much as you will be. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, restore the roar, man. This is such an exciting time for Detroit. 
not just the Lions, not just for Detroit, but really for the whole darn state, right? Been waiting yeah. for this right. for a long, long time. Uh, keep the faith. Uh, they have a chance against the mighty Niners. This, this Niner team is really loaded, but the way the way the momentum is right now, the way the stars are aligned, look out. You might see the Lions in the Super Bowl. Oh, boy, from your lips to the, to, yeah, to the football gods' ears. Thanks so much, Steve Mariucci. Great to talk with you. All right. Thanks for having me on, guy, Jamie. You know, change means more reliable energy for homes and businesses all across Michigan. And Consumers Energy knows that keeping the lights on is job number one. And they take action on that. From tree trimming and burying lines to new technology, they've got a plan for fewer and most importantly, shorter outages when they do inevitably occur. Now, last year, they cleared tree branches for more than 7,000 miles of power lines. They replaced poles with sturdier materials that can withstand higher winds and extreme weather. They've added smart technology. Their reliability roadmap is working toward a day when even the worst storm will not affect more than 100,000 customers and that all customers will be back on within 24 hours. Consumers Energy, a force for change, a force for you. Fountain Blue Las Vegas is the newest luxury resort and casino on the Las Vegas Strip, and we want to send you there for the big game weekend. You score a trip for two to Las Vegas, including airfare, a two-night stay at Fountain Blue Las Vegas, $150 credit to spend at one of its 36 restaurants and bars, and two tickets to the Fountain Blue Las Vegas big game viewing party at Blue Live Theater. Now, you need the keyword in order to enter to win. So to enter, text this hour's national keyword. The word is BIG. Text BIG to 95819, and you can be registered to win that fun trip to the Fountain Blue for the big game weekend. Well, reports are the Chargers and Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh are in striking distance of getting a deal done. Also, reports say he wants this job. He's out there with his wife. Let's bring in Steve Courtney, WJR Senior Sports Analyst. Good morning, Steve, to tell us everything going on with Harbaugh. Yeah, there's a lot to tell, Jamie. Good morning to you, Guy, Lloyd. Hello again, everyone. First and foremost, this chat brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Performance Remodeling, a preferred partner of the Inside Outside Guys, kicked off another $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Request your windows, roofing, and siding quote today. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com to enter the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Well, like you allude to, Jamie, according to reports, Jim Harbaugh is indeed within striking distance of reaching a deal with the Chargers of the City of Angels. As a matter of fact, NFL Network reporter Mike Garofalo saying yesterday, we're now in the zone where something could happen between the Chargers and Jim Harbaugh in the near future. Here's what we know. Uh, Garofalo saying that the Chargers have made an extremely strong financial offer to Harbaugh and are at the point where they are discussing staffing issues like who the general manager will be, who would join Jim Harbaugh on the coaching staff. Folks, once it gets to that point, uh, it's only a matter of time. Now, you'll recall after the 2021 season in which Harbaugh got the Wolverines to the CFP for the first time, uh, he flirted with the Purple People Eaters, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, under the impression he probably had that job. They didn't reach an agreement. Then after the 2022 season, he uh, had a virtual interview with the Denver Broncos. Clearly, nothing panned out there. Stayed at Michigan, 
goes on to win a national championship. So uh, he is a hot commodity. Uh, went back to Michigan in 2014 after that successful run with the San Francisco 49ers, taking them to a Super Bowl uh, before leaving the National Football League, going back to his alma mater. Uh, there are also reports, uh, and this is um, how legitimate uh, this Chargers opportunity appears to be, folks, uh, reports that he would bring defensive coordinator Jesse Minter with him, as well as his son Jay Harbaugh, who has been the running backs, assistant uh, special teams coach, tight ends uh, at Michigan for the last nine years. And there are ties for the Harbaugh family, obviously, to the greater San Diego area. He was at the University of San Diego through 2004 through 2006. He also played uh, for the Spanos family, the owners of the Chargers, uh, basically wrapped up his NFL career back in 99-2000. As a matter of fact, he was brought aboard, ironically enough, uh, to play for the Chargers as a backup to Ryan Leaf, but he would see significant playing time, you'll recall. And uh, just an aside, uh, I almost forgot about this, but uh, Jim Harbaugh signed by the Honolulu Blue and Silver Detroit Lions prior to the 2001 season uh, to back up Charlie Batch, but he was cut. So there you have it, folks. Uh, All sorts of, uh, not even rumor anymore. Uh, You look at some of the uh, uh, Chargers media um, outlets, and they are saying that's basically inevitable. Uh, that an announcement that Jim Harbaugh is the new head coach of the San Diego Chargers, or Los oh, Angeles Los, Chargers, yeah. if you will, <laughs> uh, could come as early as today. Wow. That sort of moved quickly as soon as the Chargers name came up. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there were a few other NFL teams in this hiring cycle. Uh, he interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons, uh, who has also uh, interviewed with uh, Bill Belichick a couple times. Uh, His name was associated, albeit for a brief amount of time, with the opening in Carolina. Who would want to go work uh, for Dave Tepper out there? Who the hell knows? But, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh and his connections to the West Coast, uh, this was an easy pick uh, for him. Uh, Again, he interviewed uh, for the second time yesterday. His wife was out there. Um, And, uh, again, if, if you have... Uh, a club offering you a right. strong financial opportunity. Um, there you go. That's well, it's also the that... potential to make an impact, too, Steve. I mean, they've got a good nucleus of talent there. There's just this thing that they can't seem to get out of their own way. Jim Harbaugh can change that. Well, and uh, you're right, Guy. One of the attractions for the uh, Chargers is you've got a franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. Uh, and as far as bringing his... Uh, established defensive coordinator Jesse Minter with him. That was one of the shortcomings of the Chargers this past season. It has been for a while. So um, all the pieces are in place. Mm-hmm. And, again, uh, an announcement could come as soon as today. And if you're Michigan, you want the decision to be made already so they can make moves and decide. You would think it would be Sharon uh, Moore, but we'll have to right. wait and see. Thank yeah, you. no uh, no word as to whether or not Connor Stallions would be involved. What? <laughs> Thank you so much, Steve Courtney. We'll talk to you soon. You betcha. Have a great day, folks. All right. Coming up on JR Morning, we're going to get you up to date with all the topics uh, in this crazy world we live in. That's next. 
And here on your Wednesday morning, uh, we're getting ready to pack up and head uh, to Lansing tomorrow. Tomorrow this time, we hope you'll join us as we recap the State of the State message from Governor Gretchen Whitmer and talk to uh, parties on all sides about what the path forward is for the state of Michigan as we seek to confront some of the challenges out there, be it education, um, support for caregivers, uh, family leave, things like that, but also uh, kind of navigating this idea of how much do we spend of your hard-earned dollars on bringing jobs to Michigan and where the line is uh, of diminishing returns in that. We'll get to all of it tomorrow. We hope you'll join us for that. Meantime, the State of the State address is tonight at 7 o'clock, and you can find that and the Republican response on AM 760 WJR beginning at 7 p.m. Um, No question, as this city gets revved up for the Lions quest for the NFC championship, a lot of folks are on board with us Mm -hmm. and some are celebrating, uh, you know, the, the rebirth of the Lions but also dissing the city of Detroit in the process. What a, what a backhanded compliment we got from Stephen A. Smith on ESPN. I think you have to listen to it. All right. So this is what he said. He was talking. He was talking about the fact that you know they got a great fan base. This is great for the city, and boy, this is a city that really kind of needs help. Detroit, phenomenal fan base. Yeah. Great city. Been through a lot. The downtown area, big time. The stadium, big time. But you go to other outskirts of the Detroit area, it looks like a damn desert town. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here wondering how to help people making money. I, I'm just, I'm just looking. It looks like, it looks like a desert town. I, I'm just looking at it, and I'm like, what, what the hell is going on in this city? And then you see the Detroit Lions coming up and sort of reviving, just, just, just giving. They were, on, they, they. I mean, I mean, you, they were on a respirator for crying out loud, just as a city. I, I, I'm just trying to figure out where the hell he's been in the city of Detroit. I mean, he makes it seem like we're all panhandlers squatting. This is such a tired argument. It's oh old. God. It's ignorant. It's not true. It's just not true. Also, the fact that the Lions would prop up anybody or any city. I mean, it's a fun sporting event we're going to. All Absolutely. hail the Lions for lifting our spirits, certainly. Yes. But it's not like we were. We're not standing in a bunch of Hoovervilles like the Great no. Depression waiting for a sports franchise to save us. It's just wrong and ignorant. But we can't get all worked up because it's just so wrong. It is. But so, And tired. all the national media has been pretty great. Talking yeah, about Detroit. Have. So well, this is a one-off, I think. And we should also commend Darren Nichols in the, in yes, the Detroit, in Detroit Free, Free Press. Press for a very reasoned, thoughtful, and in, invited Stephen. He goes, you know, Stephen, you, you kind of tra- you're dealing in some of the most tired tropes that are out there. Come visit us. We're going to take you to the train station. Uh, we're going to take you outside the outskirts of town and and show you the the great things that are happening here. And the mayor, I think, basically said the same thing. I'm he did. Sure. He did. Because the mayor talked about the rising property values, decreased crime rates, reduced unemployment, all of that stuff. I don't know where. It's and the NFL been. doesn't choose a place on a respirator to have the draft. Uh, hello. So I, I, moving I just, on. I just don't know. Shock value. Uh, yeah. Well, hot. Yeah. The hot take uh-huh. is so often the thoughtless <laughs> take. Uh, meantime, uh, we may see uh, the opening arguments in the Crumbly case here, with, if not today, then certainly tomorrow. Lloyd. Yeah, jury selection began yesterday for Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of the convicted Oxford school shooter. The courtroom barred cameras during the process as she and her husband, James Crumbly, become the first parents charged in connection with the school shooting, facing four counts of involuntary manslaughter. 
Jennifer is accused of not doing enough to prevent her son's actions. The defense contends Jennifer didn't know her son's plans, while prosecutors claim the parents purchased the gun and ignored warning signs. Now, the defense wants her son, the shooter, to testify, emphasizing his plea for mental help and asserting he spoke to professionals, not his parents. The judge anticipates to see the jury by the end of the day. Attorney Vin Johnson, who represents many of the victim's family, says the Crumley parents must be held accountable for their failure to act. Those parents sat in that room with the administrators and didn't tell them about the gun, didn't tell them about all the problems that this kid was having at home. Do your clients feel this is a form of justice? They do. And that tape is courtesy of NBC. Jennifer's husband, James, faces charges as well. His trial scheduled for March 5th. The New Hampshire primary in the record books at 11-point victory for Donald Trump on the issue of immigration. Exit polls show he thrashed Nikki Haley on the issue of the economy. He thrashed Nikki Haley. Uh, but with independence, six out of ten supported her, showing his potential vulnerability in a general election uh, once again, failing to bring in uh, the the independents. In fact, uh, there were a number of Republicans, 35 percent of them, that said they will not support him in November. So that is a significant portion of his base. He said yesterday in a scrum with reporters, yeah, I don't care if she stays or goes. I'm just going to do what I do. It was a very, I thought, self-aware, reflective moment saying, yeah, I'm not going to get upset. She has to stay in fine. I'm going to do what I do. Well, by the the returns last night, he was uh, threatening her with an investigation. He was picking on her about he her, her dress. Gone. He wants her gone. And even went after Kaylee McEnany, uh, one of his most loyal uh, former staffers. Yeah. I, if you watch the Fox News coverage, McEnany was on the desk, you know, just talking about how to move forward. And she mentioned the stats guy that you just did something like Seven in 10 Haley voters wouldn't vote for Trump. And she said that Trump should posture as the presumptive nominee, focus on independence, figure out how to win a general election. That's all she said. And then he went to his social media and said, quote, I don't need any advice from Rhino Kaylee McEnany on Fox. Just had a giant victory in all caps over a badly failing candidate, Bird Brain. And she's telling me that I can do better. Save your advice for Nikki. This reactionary Donald Trump is back. And then he just um, said terrible things about two women in that tweet. I mean, the guy we know is back. Yeah, he does a great job of recruiting new people to the Republican Party. But it's moments like that that he creates new independence out of formerly loyal Republicans. You said I can't be that uh-huh. Republican right. anymore. It's politics. And she was hired to just give her advice on how he moves on to win an election. And that is his response. And she was basically saying, be the better man like you were in Iowa. Yeah. There, he was gracious after yeah. Iowa. Be, be, be that be that guy. But if, uh, if, if he looks at it as you trying to, you know, talk down to him or give him advice, he doesn't like that. He doesn't take that. Well, and especially not from a woman. Right. Mm-hmm. Um can, can we also say that that was a f- pretty awkward moment with Tim Scott yesterday oh. at at the victory party um, as is he was talking about and he's right about this. I mean, he's got 28 U.S. senators who are endorsing him. Nikki Haley has none. The political establishment, uh, the, the power brokers within the party are in his camp and are increasingly so. But then he almost put Tim Scott through a loyalty test. He put him on the spot. And, you know, he talked about the fact 
that, uh, yeah, you uh, he, she put you on basically saying that uh, Nikki Haley made him a senator and uh, you ended up supporting me. Two great senators, which is hard. I mean, did you ever think that she actually appointed you, Tim? <laughs> and think of it, appointed and you're the senator of his state and she endorsed me. You must really hate her. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. Uh oh. Of course, you know he misspoke. Yes, <laughs> he said he meant to say you, you endorse me, but you really must hate her. Now, anybody that knows anything about Tim Scott is he's a devout Christian. I don't think the man's ever hated anybody in no. his life, and he could have said that. And he's tried to run a very positive campaign, and now you're putting him in a position where he has to go hyper negative. Yeah. So he comes up to the mic and says, "What?" And he's. And he says, I love Two you. great senators. Uh-oh. Which is- I screwed it up. Yeah. I wanted to pick it up from where I was left off. Yeah. And he comes up and says, no, I love you. And what do you think of that? I, it, just, it just made my stomach turn. Because yeah. he appeared so obsequious. He, he did. And he just seemed like he was, you know, really just, um, you know, gutting him. And, you know, and it's, it's one thing to ask your supporters just- to, to bend the knee. And that's okay. They've endorsed you. Make yeah. as much as you can about that. But don't make them bend their principles mm-hmm. and to 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 call on backs. him to hate Nikki Haley or right. looking for that as a why do you need and, that, Mr. Trump? Why <clears throat> well, do you need him to hate her? He could have come up to the mic. He was put on the spot, but he could have said, I don't hate anybody. This right. is politics. Yeah. I agree with you more than I agree with yeah. her or something. Bam. Yeah. That's it. I wonder how many people came away from that saying, boy, I, I used to like Tim Scott, but I certainly am rethinking yeah. my position on him after that moment, especially black voters. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, Fred Upton talking third candidates. Where are we with that going forward from uh, it now that if he is the presumptive nominee, Where is the No Labels Party? Will we see more of them? That's next. Fox did a voter analysis last night and found uh, 53% of the New Hampshire GOP that voted are will be satisfied if Trump wins the nomination. But a th- group of 35% won't back him. 35% of the Republican base said that they will not back him. We also have seen more numbers uh, supporting the idea that the majority of Americans do not want a Biden-Trump rematch. Uh, Dean Phillips uh, got 20% of the Democrats that voted yesterday. What does it all mean in terms of a potential third-party run to cater those with such a high level of dissatisfaction in the prospect of a rematch? Fred Upton, the former U.S. congressman from Michigan's 6th District and uh, a member of the No Labels Coalition, joining us live this morning on JR Morning. Fred, good morning. Well, good morning to you guys as well. 
I'm out in Utah skiing for another two days before I run back to Michigan. So it's still pretty dark <laughs> over here. There's good snow out there. I just yeah. got back. We got snow last night. We got some snow last night, so my boots are warming. But anyway, it's good to be with you guys. Well, you know, there's a couple of other statistics that I think are important, and I, I saw this earlier this morning, believe it or not, uh, from the exit polls from the folks that voted for Haley. Nine of the nine nine ninety percent of them ninety ninety percent of that forty three percent would not be happy with a Trump uh, uh, as the nominee, yeah. and eighty four percent of those said that he would be unfit if convicted. So even harsher. And if you noticed uh, after Iowa, uh, Nikki used actually the no labels talking points when she said 70% of Americans, and we've been seeing this, we've been seeing these numbers for months, uh, almost a year, said that they would not be happy with a Trump-Biden rematch. So this may be the time. I mean, this is, you know, what is half of the, in essence, half of the the Republican Party going to do? Are they going to sit on their hands? Are they going to look at a unity ticket like uh, what no labels is, is likely to produce here? run, I think, 14 states now since uh, uh, in terms of ballot access, and we would turn that over to uh, the, the, the ticket, and we're not, we're not going to, no labels is not going to run a presidential ticket. Uh, that ticket will run it, but we're just trying to get ballot access, and we're working, I think, in two dozen states now uh, getting on, on the ballots as well, but there is a real movement here for those of us that do not want to see a rematch between these two for a variety of reasons. And the numbers are just as negative on the Democratic side as well. In fact, uh, uh, Biden is underwater in, in a recent poll by 538, pretty respectable group. Or uh, They say that uh, Biden is 15 points uh, underwater and, and Trump is nine points underwater. So we'll see what happens. We get a big conference call with no labels a little bit later this week. and. Uh, <laughs> uh, time will tell, but it seem, seems like the, uh, you know, we were waiting for Super Tuesday to lock everything in, but it sure looks like it may be over, uh, that Trump will be the nominee, uh, and really solidified it last night, even though he got, what, I think he was predicting a 20 point margin, uh, just in the last couple of days and, and it ended up being but 11. But, well, you know, uh, Fred, uh, he won New Hampshire last night, but it kind of came with some warnings because among uh, primary voters who identify as moderates, he, he got beat by Haley as well as independents, and, and she also beat him with those with a college degree. Uh, yeah. So, you know, while he won the New Hampshire primary, if it came down to the election between him and Biden, he may not do so well if he doesn't have these people behind him. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, that's that's what I was saying. I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, there, there's a good chunk of Republican voters that don't want to go there. So, uh, and we have found that a majority of the 70 percent that don't want a Biden-Trump rematch are willing to look at a third-party ticket, uh, particularly if it's led by a Republican. Now, you look at the next two primaries. Nevada's next week, I think, or the 8th of February, so mm-hmm. it's within two weeks. Uh, Nikki Haley didn't register, so Trump wins there. And, you know, my sources, colleagues, et cetera, uh, down in South Carolina say that it is Trump territory. I mean, we saw Tim Scott endorse Trump saying that 
he was the best to unify uh, and unite the country. Uh, but we saw a couple of my colleagues, Nancy Mace, who's a Republican congresswoman from Charleston, she endorsed uh, Trump over the weekend as well. So he is, I'm sure, going to roll out those endorsements. We got John Cornyn, the senator from a very respected senator and leadership in the Texas, from Texas, uh, endorsement in the last day or two. So he's on a roll uh, for the next is on a roll uh, for the next month or so, and it's probably too late for Nikki to really mount a significant challenge uh, with that momentum and knowing that she has to rely on those super PACs to try and, and make an impact with primary voters. So, Fred, if you see after just two states that this thing is sort of over and Trump is going to be the presumptive nominee, does the timeline speed up for no labels? Can we get a ticket? Now, remember, I'm just a volunteer. I know, I know. But we just talked to you so <laughs> much yeah, about it. I, know, I was just I wondering. Know, I know, I know. I'm, uh, I, I think I, I'm going to be pushing to, that we move the timeline up. I've, I've, I've done that already. And so we'll, we'll see what happens. we got a big call this week. So um, we'll, we'll see where we are. But, you know, it's it's it, this is exactly what we were predicting. I mean, 70 percent, uh, you know, the American voters don't want to rematch. Pick your reason why Biden's too old. Trump's, uh, you know, his character, he got convictions uh, probably on the uh, on the horizon here for sure in terms of what's going on. Um, all the junk that he says about other candidates. I mean, his name calling him Nikki. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, you know, yeah. even DeSantis, you know, DeSantimonious. I mean, come on. Very, very quickly, That's, Fred. We're now trying to go to the gutter. I've only got a minute left. I, I yeah. really need your help with that. But it, it, listen, Nikki Haley, if Ronna McDaniel said yesterday, she has no path forward in the Republican Party in this race. Could she have a, a path forward as a no labels or third party candidate? She probably wants to wait till 28. And if she came with no labels, even though no labels is a one-time deal, <laughs> it's not down the ballot. Uh, we're not looking beyond 28. It's a one-time shot to, to try and set the train back on the track. I think she would say she's already said she's not interested. I don't think she'll come back because she wants to preserve her options for 28. Okay. I so, like her, though. Which, which then begs the question, who? Yeah, well... Stay tuned. There's a big call. Yeah. My fingernails are still on. Yeah. Well, we will await uh, the outcome of that conference call later on this week. And if it does move up the timetable, I we trust that you will let us know here on JR Morning. You betcha. All right. You guys are great. All right. Safe skiing out there, my friend. Steiny's Way. Best Tips run up. in That's Utah. Right. <laughs> Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking with Mitch Album about our amazing Detroit Lions. We should uh, tip of a hat to a guy who, and by the way, we're going to find out today when the, the, the Niners release their uh, availability. Injury report. Yeah, what exactly the status is of Debo Samuels, who is a critical, uh, that wide receiver. Critical They're playing with for us. the Niners. Uh, talk about guys that are playing hurt. He may, you know, put some scotch tape on his shoulder and come oh, out and play. Playing. He'll play. Uh, he may not be 100%, but, but he'll play. We've got a guy who's just been amazing here and finding out just how hurt he really was. Alex is. Angeloni, you guys, fractured three ribs in the Lions' Week 18 win over the Minnesota Vikings, and he's played the past two games with that injury. I've never broken any ribs, but can you imagine playing football? I mean, a bruised rib is bad. 
<laughs> you talking about yeah. a broken one. Yeah. He had I a team high, imagine. eight tackles, two for a loss in the win over the Rams, six more tackles, including two to get off the field on third down over the Bucks. Yeah. And this guy's playing with injury. And we know Frank Ragnow Super, and all his injuries. Yeah. Human. Um. Well, we are uh, looking forward to uh, this game coming up in uh, on Sunday. And uh, our next guest is a multifaceted personality known for his international acclaim as a best-selling author, journalist, screenwriter, playwright, broadcaster, you name it, renowned for his Emmy Award-winning television movies and leaving an indelible mark on various creative domains, Mitch Album. He's also host of the Mitch Album Show here on WJR weekdays, 4 to 6 p.m., and a longtime Detroit Free Press sports columnist. He always brings that unique perspective to our discussion, and he joins us now on JR Morning. Mitch, good morning. So formal. I know. I really, really think at this point I need all that. No, I, I got to bring you on right, Mitch. I got to bring you on right. Your next book, you've got a, you've got a blurb writer, right? Yeah. Here. There you go. I got you. So, uh, yeah. So, so, Mitch, when you started writing for the Free Press in, in, in 1985 and writing about the Lions, did you ever think we'd be in this position one game away from the Super Bowl? Or did you say to yourself, like, how many times can I write that this team is not that good? Well, when I first came in, they had a coach named Daryl Rogers. Oh yeah, I remember. And one day, the writers were standing outside with Daryl Rogers, trying to talk to him about football. And he looked up to the Silver Dome, and there were the roof, and there were a bunch of pigeons on the roof. And he said, like right in the middle of the discussion about football, how many pigeons do you think are up there on that roof? <laughs> And I said to myself, this guy is not taking this football team anywhere. <laughs> and, and from that point forward, it's been one series of failed regime after another. I mean, you can, you, we all know the whole litany of them, you know, Marty Morningweg and, and, uh, and, and Matt Patricia and all the guys who have come in between. Matt Millen. So, yeah, and Matt Millen and, and Russ Thomas, a 25-year regime and all that. So, no, I I really thought that this was going to be the one team that uh, if they ever made a Super Bowl, I should probably announce my retirement. So now I might be two weeks away from <laughs> retiring. Who knows? Mitch, do you think it was they just hired the wrong people and then they finally just got it right? I mean, it is unbelievable that they only won one playoff game in, in so long prior yeah, to this it, season. It is a case of hiring the wrong people. But, you know, everybody always thinks that just means a coach and GM. Um, it's it's all the way up the organization and it's, you know, it's in the front office and it's really who's running the front office and, you know, not in any way to besmirch William Clay Ford, you know, as a man, but as a football owner, he wasn't particularly good. And um, when you're not good at your job, uh, you continue to make the wrong decisions. And so he continued from the whole way the front office was organized to the coaches and the GMs, putting in the wrong people. When you put in the wrong people, they make the wrong decisions. They draft the wrong people, hire the wrong coaches, um, and you end up with bad football teams. Look, no sport is set up to fix itself better than the NFL because of the draft. So if you do badly in a previous year, you get high draft picks, right? And high draft picks are the way that you, you know, baseball doesn't have that in terms of like they have farm systems. It takes much longer to get guys out. But in football, you get a number one pick. You know, you draft uh, Trevor Lawrence or, or C.J. Stroud or guys like that, and you can turn around in one year. 
Lions had umpteen opportunities to do that over the years. How many years did we have a top five draft? Pick? Oh Lord! And yeah. how many years did it come out being you know Charles Rogers or 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 or, or other guys that just didn't handle it well? You know Chuck Long and guys like that. So they finally made the right picks and and they put in the right people and they're winning. It, but it was it's it's who they've drafted and what characteristics they're looking for. We just talked about Alex Anzalone. I mean, that's Spielman-esque, a guy coming out with three busted ribs. Um, and, and by making toughness a higher priority, is has that kind of been the secret sauce here, Mitch? Well, you said Spielman-esque, and, I mean, you know, he's been part of it behind the scenes. You know, he was brought in to sort of help them uh, guide, you know, the coaching decisions and the other things uh, here and the philosophy of the team. And they have that philosophy, and, that you know, it, it comes from the kind of players that Brad Holmes drafts and the kind of players – that that Dan Campbell coaches and who he keeps and who he doesn't and who he elevates and who he doesn't and he's we all know about his toughness and we all know about his approach he's a lot smarter than people think you know I just did the Tony Kornheiser show just before I came on with you guys and and Tony said it, everybody thinks this guy's a meathead is he a meathead you know I said, he's the last thing from a meathead he's way smarter than people give him credit for you know I mean maybe he talks a certain way has a Texas accent but he really understands the game, and he understands human nature and motivation. And, uh, you know, that's what it takes. You think about you know, think about the teams that have been great over the years, whether it's Belichick or Bill Walsh or, or you know, uh, Tom Landry or whatever. You've got to have guys who do consistently build the program, and that's what he's doing. Mitch, uh, your thoughts on Stephen A., uh, who said basically that uh, the Lions doing well – uh, this past year, that's when Detroit started doing well because Detroit was just <laughs> on a respirator. On a respirator before yeah. that, Desert City. I, I'm so glad I was able to get that respirator out of my mouth. You know, now that the Lions started playing, <laughs> uh, you know, we we sadly we're used to this. You know, the, the what we call the drop by Detroit take. You know, it used to be that uh, they'd send a guy into Detroit. When the Detroit team did well, he'd go to the Lindell AC, spend five minutes there, go to the Packard plant, spend five minutes there, and say, "This city is, you know, a tough blue-collar, uh, poverty-stricken, Rust Belt uh, kind of thing, and only the sports team is pulling them out of it." It's not true. It's not even close to true, you know. And you know, I, I know Stephen A. for many, many years, and he's he's a good guy with a good shtick, uh, but this is more shtick than than truth, and we all know that around here. Mitch, do you think they could win on Sunday in San Francisco, especially if Debo is not 100 percent? Yeah. You know, that doesn't mean that they are going to win. But, yeah, they can win. They can play with anybody. You know, they began the year by beating the former Super Bowl champions, who are now one of the last four teams left, Mm -hmm. you know, and they beat them. And they, I think they beat the Dallas Cowboys, you know, uh, even though the refs didn't think it. Right, Right. and both those games are on the road. Yeah, and uh, there's there's no reason that they can't go into San Francisco and play a great game. You know, the thing that you worry about from a pure football point of view is that if, especially if Debo Samuel plays, uh, San Francisco is strong in the in an area where the Lions are weak. You know, they 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 have good receivers who can eat you up for 200 yards a game if you mm-hmm. if you're not careful, and that's the Lions' kind of Achilles heel. Uh, and, you, you know, you don't want that to happen. So I think Debo Samuel playing is a big thing. But, you know, they got Brendan Ayuk, and they've got Christian McCaffrey. They have a ton of offensive weapons. 
and um, the Lions are going to have to win a game probably in the 30s in order to uh, to win. But they've done that. You know, they just did it last week. So, yeah, at this point, anybody who says they can't do something hasn't been paying attention. No, because for once they find a way to can do instead of defeat themselves, which mm-hmm. is really excuses. Yeah, it's the hallmark of this team is they aren't the Lions that we've become too far accustomed yeah. to. Yeah, And I think if anything else, guys, uh, that they've accomplished this season, and if they even if they end up losing this week, they have put that to bed. And it's about time that that SOL thing was put to bed, yes. you know, same old Lions. The same old Lions would have absolutely lost to Matthew Stafford and the Rams because that was Shakespearean. Yep. You know, yep. he comes back and the old quarterback defeats them, and we all go into the offseason going, oh, my God, is that typical Lion? They didn't do that. The same old Lions would have lost to Tampa Bay. You all remember there were times when Detroit versus Tampa Bay, you couldn't give away that ticket. <laughs> if, you were, if you were in, you know, it's you had Lions say, anybody want to go with me to see the Lions play Tampa Bay? No. You know, you go, you literally have four tickets. You'd sit by yourself with three empty seats next to you. So yeah. that would have been a classic SOL. You know, they finally have a chance to go to a, an NFC championship game and they lose to the Tampa Bay Bucks, but they didn't do that. So they have gotten rid of that, that Shakespearean shadow. And I think that that's healthy because, it, you know, people, we went into Lions seasons with so much of that hanging over the franchise and the team and the players and the coaches and, I think it burdened them over the years. And I think sometimes it became a self-fulfilling prophecy when they started to lose. They started to feel the whole city coming down on them like, here we go again, here we go again. And I think we've lost that. Even if they lose this game, they're going to come back next year with a lot of expectations, winning expectations, and, and that's a healthy thing. Mitch Album, the host of the Mitch Album Show on WJR weekdays 4 to 6. We appreciate you being here this morning, sir. Thank you for the introduction and the close. <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh, and, you know, you got to take a chance, if you do, uh, to take a look at the Free Press and look at Mitch's story in the Free Press. Detroit Lions no longer a cute story. They are now a win away from the Super Amen. Bowl. Coming up, Marie Osborne, our senior news analyst, talking about the Warren Symphony Orchestra celebrating its 50th anniversary. That and more when we come back on JR Morning. Now, this song I like. <laughs> Uh, The Warren Symphony Orchestra is celebrating its 50th year this year, a major accomplishment considering most professional music programs are struggling to stay afloat following the pandemic. Let's get to Marie Osborne with their story, Senior News Analyst. Marie Osborne, good morning. And good morning, Jamie Edmonds. So musically, the city of Warren is certainly better known as the home of Eminem than for symphony music. But this year, the Warren Symphony Orchestra is celebrating being being part of the state's third largest city for five decades. And so this is a major accomplishment, considering most community music programs are just struggling to stay afloat following the pandemic. In 1974, a group of business owners were concerned after a music program in a local school district fell victim to budget cuts. And that group visualized not just a school program, but a professional symphony orchestra that could be accessible to the entire community. And this is what they thought to do. They thought to bring in the very best conductor they could. Our first conductor was Dr. David Daniels. And he was a devoted musician and professor himself that was with us for three decades. And he actually wrote 
the gold standard performance manuals that are used by our conductors and orchestra professionals today. And they were a huge hit. That is the at WSO Executive Director Joyce Russell. The group undertakes major works from a wide range of composers. This year, it's Stravinsky, Tchaikovsky, and Beethoven. They are hired professional musicians, hired per concert, and we have between 45 and 60, depending uh, on the repertoire. They come and we do a week's worth of rehearsals, and then we perform on a Sunday. Now, Russell says the WSO has been committed to providing concerts for students, many of whom would never have an exposure to symphony orchestra music, underscoring the benefits of music to a child's education. The symphony also works to keep the uh, biggest barrier of orchestral music, ticket prices, from being an issue. We offer affordable and accessible tickets. You can come to the city of Warren and be entertained with classical music. Our highest price ticket is $23, so we make it affordable for those in our city and the surrounding communities. So the WSO will have its gala on Thursday night at the Gazebo Banquet Center in Warren, and there's only one way to end this story. Here goes. There you go. Where's wow. the round of applause? That's wonderful. Three. For their longevity and yes. bringing the arts to ah. the community. I, I yes. picture you with your arms in the air and a baton <laughs> in yes. hand there for that, uh, the, yes. that crescendo. Yeah, I'd love that. I'd love to do that. Yeah, this is really an amazing story when you consider um, Warren is really, uh, you know, a, a working class town, a working man's town. It's home of General Motors, the Chrysler, one of the assembly plants was there. And so uh, the UAW has a big presence in the city of Warren. So for them to come together and really be committed to something like orchestral music like this is really an amazing uh, story. And for 50 years they've been doing it especially their uh, student outreach where they bring this type of music to students again they may never hear that music ever again in their Mm -hmm. lives but at least they were exposed to it once well their black and white galas tomorrow night it's sold out it seems like they have lots of support and uh, the future is bright so thank you so much marie thank you guys